This is Liberating Sustainability, an intersectional take on the climate emergency. In each episode, field leaders from student liberation movements and academia deconstruct the exclusivity of sustainability activism and education. I'm Jelena Sofronievich. And I'm Hattie Roddick. And this time we're exploring the intersections of sustainability and disability. Where are disabled people excluded from sustainability? Are they stereotyped as unproductive or social burdens? And is it fair that non-disabled people define what is acceptable sustainable behaviour? Unpacking these questions are Dr Gregor Walbring, Associate Professor in Disability Studies at the University of Calgary, and Malak Mayat, former NUS Disabled Student Second Place. I'm Gregor Walbring. I'm an Associate Professor here at the University of Calgary in the Department of Community Rehabilitation and Disability Studies, Community Health Sciences. And my main lens is ability studies, which is about how ability expectations would be nice to have and ableism. Disability is absolutely essential come to pass. One has to look at all kinds of things. Sustainability simply means I want to sustain something. Question is what? And my focus with many of my publications is around which abilities do we want to sustain? Which abilities do we see as unsustainable? How do they change over time or did already change over time? What one wants to sustain? Which abilities? Because that's, of course, also a a cultural issue and a social issue. And so things change over time. And so for me, it's more mapping out ability expectations between groups and then where are right and what they think they want to sustain right which they what they want to change and then to simply i mean look at where are the conflicts between groups based on which abilities they want to sustain so my name is uh, Malak Mayet. I was the disabled students campaign second place um in the academic year 1920 Um, And I am now working as a member of staff in a students' union where I oversee democracy and liberation. Sustainability for me is preserving the planet um, and preserving um, the environment and the habitats um, that currently occupy the earth. Um, But also in that, and integral to that, is um, preserving uh, the culture and tradition um, of um, kind of my indigenous background um, and the indigenous backgrounds of, of the people of the global south. Would you say that the environmental crisis is a product or a reflection of the social inequalities that we see in the disabled community? I don't think you can say whether the air came first or the chicken. It's literally the, the lens you can use to deal with all the intersections between all the different sustainability issues. Even under environment, which environment do you mean? Physical environment? Do you mean nature? I mean, even the word environment is quite different, how people use it. Anything humans are doing, right, impacts, right, the environment, right, impacts nature in a positive or negative way. So I think it's a very difficult question, I mean, to say, okay, what is really first, what is second? I feel like Gregor really stole some of the words out of my mouth um, with a kind of chicken and egg analogy because um, that was kind of a conclusion I came to. In the link between um, climate change and the climate emergency um, and the refugee crisis, borders are inherently ableist um, in which they stop um, disabled people from seeking safety 
um, because often um, your ability to be accepted as an immigrant um, into another country is based on your productivity, your capacity to work. Um, and disabled people are often seen as a burdens on um, on healthcare systems and um, as unproductive um, because of a inability or reduced capacity to work. I don't think there's a kind of linear transmission here um, when it comes to um, disabilism and environmental and the environmental crisis. Um, I think that the two um, essentially reinforce each other in a continuum. A nice term to look at is Desmond Tutu's adaptation apartheid. A certain group who actually didn't cause the trouble is now forced to adapt and often beyond what they can do. Ability security, you have to have a way to have a decent life with your set of abilities. You definitely have uh, right an ability and security because if other people shape things in certain ways, you will not have a way to have this ability security. And that's definitely often a power game because certain will decide they can do certain things and then you are supposed to become resilient to them to simply deal with it or right adapt to it. Who decides what is allowed, what abilities some people can right, I mean expect and then not having a discourse, what is the consequence of it to X, Y, Z. And I should also say I normally don't use ableist as a term because for me, ability expectation and ableism is a neutral term. Everyone has them. How you use them is the issue. That is about you can be disabledist, so you really use it for disabling purposes, or you can be an enableist. Disabled women are not much hurt in the women's movement because in the way it's set up in the moment, it's like um, divide and conquer. You choose a group which is the flavor of the month, and then that group gets, gets all the attention. And with that, there's no way you can have a socially sustainable society, right? And I think one can use this lens, right? And especially the enabling one to really put up positive frameworks, which could be used for all kinds of groups and can be used in this intersectionality and so on. Because to just say abilities are wrong, I think um, does not give people any positive narrative. What can you do instead? And Malik, you mentioned earlier about how disabled people are often perceived as a burden or as unproductive. Do you think that the call for climate justice must therefore also be a call for disability justice? Absolutely, um, especially given how much of uh, climate justice discourse and action um, is predicated upon completely eliminating um, disabled people from the public sphere. I think the, the plastic straw ban is a really good example, as is the kind of um, continual um, attack on things like uh, pre-prepped fruit and veg uh, that comes in plastic packaging. Um, that kind of every few months or years kind of begins to creep its way back into climate justice discourse. Actually, the use of kind of assistive technology as well, the increased use of kind of electricity and energy, people who rely on these things for sustenance. Uh, have to come forward and say these things don't exist because people are lazy, as is what's generally purported. It exists so that people who don't have to find motor skills to to prep their own uh, fruit and veg are a, a kind of able to eat uh, a healthy diet. Both of those things are kind of marketed almost to to the lazy person, um, and in that way. Um, disabled people who rely on those things um, to be able to live independently and with agency are then constructed as lazy. Um, and that's a massive problem um, because I think a, a lot of the apathy around um, 
climate justice, I think, is chalked up to um, kind of laziness and unwillingness to change. And whilst that may be true for certain facets of the population, I guess, ironically, the most privileged of the population who don't have disabilities um, and have enough money and agency to change their lifestyle, those accusations are leveled at disabled people. Um, and that can make it incredibly hard then to to make an argument for climate justice um, that is um, kind of also rooted in disability justice because you're not seen as being um, committed to the cause in the first place. Given the way in which it disproportionately affects people who are already systematically marginalised, we cannot have a climate justice um, that is in any way um, kind of rooted, whether intentionally or unintentionally, within eugenics. Um, so whether that is smaller things like plastic straw bands that further marginalise disabled people or really more overtly um, a kind of oppressive strategy such as um, population control. And some of that you can put under ability privilege. How much of the right websites today are actually accessible to blind people? Right? How many things can you really go to? I mean, to do a demonstration, you're already privileged. Again, you can apply this also to other groups, such as green consumerism. Uh, that assumes you have a certain amount of money. The Beyond Beef Burger costs you four times than what the normal burger costs you, right? And 80% of, for example, disabled people are not working. These people have much less money, and there's a big debate, of course, in the UK around, right? What money really disabled people have? To have the time to get to know all the knowledge, to gain all the knowledge that you really can challenge others is a privilege because, I mean, if you're literally unemployed, you don't know where your food comes from and so on, you have other, I mean, fights on your hand instead of dealing with this thing where the problems might be down the road. Secondly, because we do not have a system critique, every group really only knows the consequences for their own group. So a person, right, who doesn't need a straw per se, where it's really an option, right, uh, would not understand what the consequences of uh, right, getting rid of the straw is, of the like the plastic straw, because they were very likely never exposed to a person who needs it. Right? When you say we shouldn't have cars in the inner cities, that assumes that I mean a lot of people can just I mean use the the subway and whatever. Right? Of course, for many disabled people, that's not an option. Right? You say we should now ban short haul flights. Me being a wheelchair user, actually the flights are more accessible than the trains. So how do I make it then? Like, for example, if I fly in Germany, definitely the trains are not an alternative. That's a problem that we are not having a system critique and really then map everything out. And that is partly a, a consequence also when you cover disabled people in classes, most of it is in the medical framework. We just have a, a paper under review, which is about undergraduate disabled students as researchers. One of the main reasons why they are not is because they feel as soon as they want to work on something which relates really to their ability difference as an identity uh, outside of the medical one and to want to do a social critique that they feel they can't afford that because people look badly at them, right, as supervisors and so on, right? We're definitely very uh, biased in what research project we support in universities. That, of course, is then a problem, and that will eventually be also a problem for other groups. So we all the time have them to pit yourself against other marginalized groups and claim up in the hierarchy, and in the end, right, you lose out. If you really want to be serious, there has to be a much, a totally revamping, I think, in regards to how we pit social groups against each other in this discourse.
That's really interesting. And it seems that both of you have picked up on the fact that the universalist rhetoric of sustainability and these expectations of environmental citizenship actually ignores individuals' particular needs, but also their agency and their contributions. Disabled people are subjugated for using private forms of transport rather than public forms or rather than cycling, things like that. I was wondering if you had any more examples or experiences of this exclusivity embedded in climate education and activism. Even the ability to kind of make lifestyle changes is rooted in class privilege. Gregor gave some really good examples of that. The other one, I guess, is thinking about um, race. I remember when I was taught climate change, so I kind of remember learning about it in primary and secondary school in science. It's very much taught through the empirical model. The cultural located elements of, of climate justice are completely removed when you teach it in a physics class. So disabled people, as in the meaning of impaired people, is instrumentalized for totally different purposes. When people were discussing the, the, the sustainable development goals, right? And there was a um, discussion forum organized by UN, DESA, and UNICEF. And disabled people there said, because they are medicalized in the perception, that's why they're literally not involved in most of these discussions around sustainability. And we published on that in our um, 2013 piece on disabled people in the post 2015 development goal agenda. They have uh, many, many different points they made, what they demand from academics and from um, the academic institutions in regards to uh, sustainability. Uh, I would say we are failing on literally all of them. I cover a lot human nature relationships using the term ecoableism and ecoability expectation. For example, the environmental movement depends on a medicalization of disabled people. When you look at the whole discourse around eco-health, how much of that literature is really focusing on how much a deterioration in environmental um, right, realities leads to an increase in impairment. Point 26 of the 2030, transforming our uh, world, right? this big sustainable development goal document. Point 26 says, we are committed to the prevention and treatment of non-communicable diseases, including behavioral, developmental, and neurological disorders, which constitute a major challenge for sustainable development. Actually, this gets hardly dealt with. And the only one I know of is the Autism Self-Advocacy Network, who points that out. At least in North America, in 1963, the term learning disability was coined. A little bit different, I think, than the UK history. And it was purely coined as a neurological disorder, not as I learned differently which means now everyone with a learning disability is part of that point 26, and of course Down syndrome and, 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 up to right a year or two, when the, I think the WHO changed their classification of transgender, up to then it was a neurological disorder under that classification. I think people totally underestimate what that point 26 can do to pit people against each other, and then you blame them even. So it's not consumer behavior which is a problem for sustainable growth. It's like these this, these impairments, right, would then constitute a major challenge for sustainable development. Gregor touched on the fact that a lot of movements and groups don't allow us as disabled people to speak for ourselves. I think that's really pivotal. Um, I'm really interested to 
hear about your opinions on what issues students and young people that are disabled face, particularly as you both work quite closely with students and Malak, you've represented students nationally. Universities and higher education institutions generally are very, very keen on climate justice solutions um, that centre individual behaviour um, over addressing their own institutional complicity, either encouraging students to make uh, different individual choices or blanket bans on things. Um, and I know that uh, we've had to support a lot of um, disabled students officers on campuses um, because um, the ban on plastic straws in particular uh, makes it incredibly difficult for um, disabled students to um, use things like SU bars and cafes and stuff. And that leads on to a kind of uh, wider problem of disabled students not being able to experience university life at its fullest and um, leads to a kind of increased isolation um, that we know disabled students are already prone to experiencing given how inaccessible um, campuses generally are. Um, this is another way in which campuses are made inaccessible. Disabled students um, are, I think, constantly having to fight their institution to have a seat at the table when it comes to climate justice. When they attempt to uh, highlight these concerns, um, they're basically treated as if they're not taking sustainability seriously um, and that they're just trying to be difficult, um, which isn't the case, obviously. A lot of disabled students' officers understand um, the kind of intersectional aspect of climate justice. Um, but as I said earlier, we cannot have climate justice solutions that just erase disabled people from public life. Not only does that lead to tensions between disabled students and their institutions, but worryingly also within their students' union itself and um, with the kind of wider team of officers um, that are elected to represent them and the student movement as a whole, which is really concerning. A social justice angle of disabled people is rarely taught in any class. It's slated towards the medical. So why would the climate change people or the people who work on environmental, right, teach on environmental activism and so on, um, why would they all by a sudden come up with that, I mean, social, um, social angle on disabled people? I think a lot of people are well-minded, I mean, and they're well-meaning people, but they don't have the knowledge. So, I mean, as I tell my students in general, you don't wake up one morning and have an epiphany. They are just part of a given culture, and that is not just a university. I mean, I think it's too easy to just blame universities. The NGOs are no better. For example, give you one simple one, assistive technology. When you look at that term, you go to Wikipedia, assistive technology is defined as a medical technology. In a way, then, therefore, disabled people need this within a medical framework to assistance, right? But then I ask my students, what is the e-scooter? What is public transportation? Right? What is the car? What is the snowboard? These are all assistive technologies. Everything is an assistance, but we built a narrative where the people who, are, who have the, are the mainstream as and they have abilities, which the majority has, um, don't have to question that they are by themselves actually are deficient. And that's why they built, right? No human flies. That's why we built the plane. So therefore, every human is, of course, flying impaired. You would definitely say someone is like um, like uh, wheelchair um, bound, right? But you would not say you're leg bound. 
right? I mean, I actually, right, can get out of my wheelchair and I crawl at home. But you very likely, I mean, I can't see you guys, but I assume you have legs and very likely you can't get rid of your legs. Well, you can, you can just chop them off, but it's, it seems to be not uh, a, a valid, I mean, option and you definitely can't put them on, off, on, off, right? I can get in, out, in, out of my wheelchair, but you would not define yourself as, um, right, as leg bound. I think what you've both said that um, really resonates with a lot of experiences either I've experienced myself or I've heard other activists talking about. Um, and a lot of what you said there, Malik, really reminds me of when I heard you speak at the Sustainability Summit last year with the Disabled Students Officer at the time, Piers, about the current state of the sustainability activism movement. How can we make sustainability work and sustainability activism more inclusive to disabled people? No, I think one has to step back. Um, for Right? And to really do a system critique and a system analysis, if we do it just for disabled people, it will not work. Everyone gets disabled by other people who have power, use abilities to, I mean, advance themselves. Right? I use the women one, but we use cognition to justify that some ethnic groups are less worthy than others because they're less cognitive able and you can literally go through everything at the at the bottom is very likely a disabling use of abilities you have totally different um, needs whether you're in a wheelchair whether you're blind whether you're deaf for example if you then say equity could be used diversity these are right visions of an enabling use of abilities right um, and but we really find have to find a way to really map all these out and f have a way that people can see these maps and all these I mean complexities. That's the problem, right? Climate change is there is no easy solution. We just actually have a paper under under review on environmental activism and uh, and disabled people. I want to add here two uh, papers by an author called Fanny Deborah Fanny, Ableism and Disableism in the UK Environmental Movement, and the other one is the same author but 2019, and that's Environmental Citizenship and Disability Equality. And go to the website Disability Without Abuse. One of my students did a master thesis on science and technology governance, which is more our area or on top of the sustainability. And then the barriers uh, NGOs experience to be part of these governance discussions. So one literally needs a, right, a much more systemic approach to map out where are the problems, like the, the abilities, map out the conflicts between groups, map out the barriers, why they can't I mean, get to certain things, why are they disenfranchised? Uh, and then um, including universities and what we teach. If the imagery is medical, then the solution is medical and the problems attached to that image is medical, right? But it's, I mean, a much broader debate. It's, so it's very hard to come up with very specific, just one example or two. It's really, literally the whole society has to revamp how they do these discussions. Yeah, I completely agree with what um, Gregor said there. Um, there's there's not really any way of making um, climate justice disability inclusive specifically. Um, it really requires a radical reimagining of what climate justice is um, and what a just and sustainable society generally would look like. Um, as as Gregor kind of alluded to, that requires um, a, a systemic approach. 
um, and it requires us to kind of look at institutions um, that are that are causing the most harm, um, and, and that's kind of harm to to the planet and also harm to our global community as well, um, and always kind of um, challenging upwards considering things like um, how the arms trade and how war contribute to climate change, um, things like chemical weapons and the, the way in which people suffer as a result of climate change. And I guess this is part of the reason why um, a kind of a radical imagination is so important, um, because when you do that, then you can draw links between things like the carceral state and the violence of the carceral state and the disabled violence of the carceral state and link it to um, the kind of our really our obsession as a society with punitive measures um, regarding climate justice. How do we go about accommodating for the different ways in which people can pursue sustainable action? I'm not one of those activists that says that kind of individual choices don't matter at all, um, because whilst there is no like ethical consumption under capitalism, we know that. Um, I don't think that necessarily means we need to be complicit, but ultimately um, there is no point in individual action if we're not um, kind of focusing our efforts upwards. And again, um, you can engage in individual lifestyle choices um, without calling for kind of uh, punitive or, or carceral measures, um, because if you have the capacity, privilege and, and ability to ban single-use plastics from your home, then that's fantastic. But not everyone is going to be able to do that. Um, and so moving away from punitive measures such as bans, um, you can A, support people who are not able to make those choices um, and, in, and make an active effort to include them in your climate activism. Um, and yeah, also ensuring that your, your, your focus is on um, institutions. I know I've definitely learned a lot and I hope that everyone that listens to this has learned a lot as well. So thank you so much. Liberating Sustainability is produced by Jelena Sofronievich and Hattie Ruddick. The series was commissioned by Students Organising for Sustainability UK, an educational charity responding to the climate emergency. For more episodes on intersectionality and sustainability, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.